In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From the first chapter of the Bible to the last, water is everywhere. At the dawn of creation, the Spirit hovers over the face of the waters. And a short while later, we're told of a great river that flowed from Eden, watering the garden before breaking into four, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. Without water, there is no drink and there is no food. Water is life. And this may be the most ignored aspect of understanding the biblical theology of baptism. We find non-sacramental folks trying to quibble over a single verse, trying to eke out some microscopic grammatical proof for why baptism is just an empty symbol after all. Meanwhile, the scriptures and all of creation roars with the richest theology of water one could imagine, climaxing when our Lord Jesus himself, God in our flesh, bends all the power of water and all the life-giving qualities of water toward our salvation, so that by water and his almighty word, we would truly become a new creation, have new life, and receive the daily washing away of all our sins until his baptismal work is completed and we finally stand sinless in resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. If water saves us, if baptism saves us, as St. Paul and St. Peter write, then what about the cross? The answer is simple. The benefits won on the cross by Christ are given to us in holy baptism. The tree is in the water. And that's the title of my homily today. The tree is in the water. Of course, there are many texts from the New Testament that teach the connection between the cross and holy baptism. But we also see types and foreshadowing of this in the Old Testament. One such instance is the waters of Marah in Exodus 15, from which we just read. There the wood is thrown into the water, and the water gives life to the people, saving them from death. In the chapter previous, in Exodus 14, the Lord used the Red Sea to save his people from the army of Pharaoh, thus creating for himself a holy people and giving them new life as well, no longer slaves to men, but now sons of the living God. This is why in 1 Corinthians 10, St. Paul calls the Red Sea a baptism shows it to be a type and foreshadowing of the baptism by which we have been saved, not from Pharaoh, but from Satan, and by which we have been made new, not into a new kind of Israel, but into the Holy Christian Church, and by which we have been set free, not from slavery to man, but from our sins. With the Red Sea baptism fresh in their minds, the people of Israel set out into the wilderness of Shur. After three days' journey into the wilderness, they had found no water. 
In modern wilderness survival, there's what's called the rule of threes. At most, you can serve about three minutes, excuse me, you can survive about three minutes without breathable air. You can survive about three hours in extreme hot or cold, about three days without drinkable water, and about three weeks without food. The Israelites were three days from their last drinkable water, though they had almost certainly brought some with them. The infamous grumblings in the wilderness serve wonderfully as a mirror in which we can see ourselves and our own grumbling in light of God's salvific acts and abiding presence with us. As Luther said, when the supply fails, our faith is soon gone. But it is also true that the Israelites, including the elderly and very young among them, needed water. The people must have also felt that there was a certain insult added to their injury in that when they finally did find water, it was bitter and undrinkable. A bitter irony, if you'll pardon the pun, like dying of thirst at sea. All the water one could ever want, but not one drop of it will do any good. God uses water to give life, but also to take life. Too much water, too little water, or the wrong kind of water can be quite fatal. God punished the ancient world with too much water, with a flood. Frequently, he punished Israel with too little water, with famine. And here at Marah, it's the wrong kind of water, too bitter to drink. Though in this instance, it becomes clear that God isn't punishing the people, but rather testing them. The word Marah means bitter. And you might remember that word from another book of the Bible, Ruth chapter 1, wherein Naomi experienced a famine that caused her family to move away from the promised land, followed by the death of her husband and her two sons. And she said, do not any longer call me Naomi, call me Marah, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. There's a sense in which the bitter waters at Marah make the people bitter. Thus, they grumble to Moses. So, what do you do when something in life has made you bitter? Find your Moses and complain. No. Sometimes the Lord allows us hard things, bitter things, even very bitter things. And he allows us to be tested in precisely this way or that. And in the end, our Lord's answer to us might be the same answer or a similar answer to that he gave to Moses and the people of Israel. His answer was a tree. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log the ESV says. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Of course, there's no ancient or modern rationale for throwing a log into a body of water and hoping it becomes suddenly drinkable. Nor is there any naturalistic or scientific explanation for what happened. What happens at Marah is plainly and simply a miracle of God. God being God, 
and God being a little weird, as is often his way. Why on earth would God want to work a miracle through a log? But we should note that what is often translated as wood or a log is simply the Hebrew word etz, tree. It's the same word used in Deuteronomy 21. Cursed is everyone who is hung from an etz, from a tree. And St. Paul takes this to refer ultimately to Christ and his etz, the tree of the cross. God showed Moses a tree. The tree was thrown into the water, and the tree changed everything. The water changed from marah to mathak, from bitter to sweet, from water that could not give life or save to water that did give life and did save the people. Our Lord, our Lord chose a tree to change the water and save the people in order to show forth how he would use the tree of the cross and the waters of baptism in order to save us. To paraphrase the third century church father Tertullian, the tree of Moses restored the water from its defect of bitterness to its native grace of sweetness. The tree of Christ changes fallen water into a holy baptism that gives eternal life. And to paraphrase the fourth century church father Ambrose, by itself the water could not give the people life. Only when Moses threw the wood into it and it became sweet did it give them life. So too, mere water cannot work salvation for us. Only when the cross is joined to it. The tree is in the water, and the water becomes full of grace. And finally, to paraphrase a 16th century church father, I, I hope you'll recognize who. How can baptismal water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along with faith which trusts this word of God in the water. The tree of Christ is joined to the water. The word of Christ is joined to the water. And so the water saves. It's changed from plain water into a life-giving water rich in grace. And so too we see how the tree of the cross changes anything that it's thrown into. Where the cross is, curse is changed to blessing. Bitter sins give way to sweet absolution. The cup of what we deserve is exchanged for the cup of forgiveness. Mara turns into mathak, bitterness into sweetness, hopelessness into hope, and ultimately, death into life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.